Well, today we move on from the Antichrist and we move on to the false prophet. He is the man who works with the Antichrist to deceive the whole world. It's really interesting stuff about him. So we're going to continue in Revelation 13 and finish the chapter today. But before we do, let's have a bit of revision. And we're going to go through the order of events. And this is getting harder and harder because we're building up more and more knowledge of more and more things that happen, right? So we'll start with the rapture. So the rapture happens. What's the next main thing that happens? The Antichrist, what about him? Yep, he signs or confirms the treaty with Israel. And what does that signify? What does it represent? It's the start of the seven years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the start of the seven-year tribulation. Now we move down to the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. That's three and a half years in, 42 months or 1,260 days. So what does the Antichrist do with the peace agreement? Yep, he breaks the peace agreement. The two witnesses, most likely Moses and Elijah, what happens to them? They've been ministering, prophesying for three and a half years. What does the Antichrist do to them? This was back in like chapter 11. Well, they're killed. God removes his protection from them. They're killed. And then what happens to the witnesses? They lie on the ground for three and a half days. This is all in the middle of the tribulation, that the halfway point. Yep, they resurrect after three and a half days. The world is throwing this massive party. Ripper, the people who are tormenting us, sending down plagues and everything, are dead. But then they rise again in the sight of everybody, satellite TV, and they go up to God. That's the middle of the tribulation. Another thing that happens is that when the Antichrist breaks his treaty with Israel, what does he do to believing Israel? He gathers an army and he breaks a peace treaty with Israel and instead of protecting them, he starts to persecute them, to attack them. And Jesus said in Matthew 24 to run to the run to the hills, run to the mountains, okay, which is Moab and Petra, the city of Petra. Now, another thing that happens, we learnt last week, is that something happens to the Antichrist. Do you remember what happened? He gets assassinated, yeah. So the Antichrist is assassinated, and he also gets resurrected. So this middle of the tribulation has lots of exciting things happening. All right. Another thing that happens just after this is that the, something is administered or rolled out. We've talked about it a little bit. The mark of the beast. Yes, the mark of the beast is administered or rolled out. And the Antichrist starts his genocide of the believers in the tribulation. Yeah, the tribulation believers. Yep. So, Moving on to the end of the seven-year tribulation, what happens? Who comes back? Jesus comes back, second coming. And someone's locked up for a thousand years. Who's that? Satan is locked up for a thousand years. 
Now, what happens to the Antichrist and the false prophet at the end of the tribulation? They are thrown into the lake of fire. They are the first two special guests of the lake of fire. They bypass <laughs> they bypass the great white throne judgment, the judgment for unbelievers. I'm not sure why, but yeah, it's so evil they just go straight in. Maybe they're judged in front of everybody. Another thing that happens after the end of the tribulation, it's in Matthew 24, verses 31 to 46. It's got something to do with sheep and goats. Sheep and goat judgment, okay. If you are a believer who survived the tribulation, you go into the thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer, then you go to hell awaiting your day in court at the Great White Throne Judgment. Okay, now, the next era or dispensation is the after the tribulation. thousand-year rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And we're reigning with him, with our glorified bodies. The church comes back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation. We reign and rule with him, along with the Old Testament saints, along with the tribulation saints who died and rose again. And at the end of the thousand years, someone is released. Who's that? Satan is released, yeah. And he gathers which people? Or his followers, or the unbelievers the people who lived in this beautiful, remade, revamped world, ruled by Jesus, still chose not to believe. That's our human nature. That's our free choice. And there's the final war, and God sends down something to destroy them. Fire from heaven, yep. Very anticlimactic. And then Satan is thrown where? Into the lake of fire to join the Antichrist and the false prophet. Three little peas in a pod there. All right. <laughs> then you have the, what's this judgment called? That's for the unbelievers. The second resurrection, as they call it. The Bible calls it. The great, great white throne judgment. Yep. The Bible calls this a second resurrection. The first resurrection is progressive. If you're a believer, you are a part of the first resurrection. If you are not a believer, you are part of the second resurrection, which happens at the time of the Great White Throne Judgment. Those whose names, as we learned last week, are not written in the Book of Life of the Lamb, and they are not also written in the Book of Life, they are thrown into the Lake of Fire. And the next era or dispensation is the New Heavens and the New Earth. Okay, Eternity. With Christ. So, again, last week we learned about the Antichrist in Revelation 13. Things like Satan gives him his authority, his power, and his throne. Okay, we'll go over those in a bit later. But this, this week we're going to get more into the false prophet. So I'm going to read all of chapter 13, because as we read it together, it'll help you to remember what we studied last week. So let's jump into Revelation chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast, that's the Antichrist, rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a 
blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, that's the Antichrist, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 5. And he was given a mouth, the Antichrist was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, which is three and a half years, 1,260 days. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. That's us, the church. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. That's the tribulation saints. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Verse 9, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast. Now this is another beast of the same kind. This is the false prophet. Another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, that's the Antichrist, in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound, fatal wound, was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth, as we know, the unbelievers. That's what they call those who dwell on the earth, those who make the home or at home on the earth, by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, why 666? Well, 7 is the number of perfection. Six is the number of men. It's like one short of perfection. Now, last week we finished in verse 6. It says that the Antichrist will blaspheme God, his name, heaven, and those who live there. In other words, he's trying to discredit what event? The rapture. Okay, he's trying to discredit God, God's home, and the people who live there. That's us. 
The Antichrist doesn't want people thinking that a loving and all-powerful God has taken his people home. That would mean the Bible is true, right? Now we move on to verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, remember that the Antichrist has been given Satan's power. What does that represent? Is it internal or external? Think of Superman. Is Superman's power external or internal? Internal, yeah. So that, that power represents the internal power. Okay, the power that comes from within. He's also given Satan's authority, and that I could think of a policeman. A policeman doesn't need to be strong, but a policeman has much authority and can do many things, right? He can stop traffic, he can has authority to do lots of things like putting people in prison and stuff like that. But that's authority is given to him from without, it's from the government. And Satan's throne is the right to rule the earth. So think of Satan's power as like Superman, okay? He's a bit like Superman. He's got power to do miracles and things like that. It comes from within. Satan's authority is an external power. He has authority to do stuff. And Satan's throne is the right to rule the earth. So what does the Antichrist do with all this power? Well, the Antichrist's main occupation, or main thing that he focuses on for the last three and a half years, will be to seek and destroy tribulation saints, those who come to Christ during the tribulation. That's his goal. He wants there to be no believers around on the earth when Jesus comes back. So remember that there's going to be 144,000 Israelites, 12,000 from each tribe, sealed by the Holy Spirit, who will be witnessing to the entire world, leading multitudes to Christ. And this is the worldwide evangelism spoken of in Matthew twenty-four fourteen, where literally all the world will hear the gospel before Jesus returns to the earth. And that includes all languages. I don't think it's going to happen before the church goes, but it will happen before Jesus comes back. So I put that verse up for you. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What's the end? The end will come? What's that? Second coming, yeah. So that verse, people apply it to the church age. I think it actually fits better into the tribulation. Now, these 144,000 witnesses are also going to have great help from two prophets or witnesses who will prophesy from Jerusalem, most likely Moses and Elijah. And as we talked about before, God will remove his protection from them at the halfway point, and the Antichrist will kill them. The world will be so happy that they will declare well by Christmas or public holiday. They'll rejoice. But what will God do? Resurrect them. And just like the Bible predicted, there will be a satellite TV and the whole world will see it. And they'll be mourning. In addition to these 144,000 evangelists and two witnesses, there's going to be angels flying around proclaiming the gospel and warning people. So I just want to read what those angels are going to be saying, right? Because this explains why there's so many people who become saved in the tribulation. Revelation 14, 6-11 Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation tribe, tongue, and people. 
So that's where I get the languages from, right? Every single dialect will hear the gospel in their own language. Okay? So every person, saying with a loud voice, literally yelling, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. That's the first angel, the everlasting gospel. Second angel, this is referring to the economic system which eventually will fall. Another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then in verse 9, the third angel. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So it's pretty clear. I just want to comment on the cup of wrath, God's wrath. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. Then what did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it is possible, please take this cup from me. What cup was he referring to? The cup of wrath. It's the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. It's the judgment against sin, okay? The penalty for sin. Jesus did drink that, or take that cup. He did absorb God's wrath fully. So these people who refuse salvation, they will, instead of Jesus absorb God's wrath fully, people have the opportunity to receive that gift. But if you don't receive it, then you will have to experience that wrath. That's why you go to hell. So the Antichrist was going to try and make it so there's no believers left for Christ to come back for. Again, you don't want to miss the rapture. Don't put off repenting and accepting Christ as your Lord and Saviour. And don't assume that, oh, it's okay, if I miss the rapture, I'll just become saved then. Listen, Satan is going to be really powerful and he's going to have an amazing ability to deceive people. If you do repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour in the tribulation, then you will most likely die a gruesome martyr's death. And it's no coincidence that the Bible says to the believers concerning the promise that they will not go into the tribulation. It says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And it says that in Thessalonians. I just want to read those verses. It says, 1 Thessalonians 4.15-18 We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, 
will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So how do we know this is the, the rapture and not the second coming? Where are we meeting the Lord? In the air. Okay. So we're going up to meet him. We go into heaven for seven years. And then at the end, we come down with him to be on the earth. All right. Verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. We did this last week. Last week you learned that our names are written into the book of life of the Lamb when we are saved. The day we are saved, the moment we are saved, our names are written into this book, the book of life of the Lamb. If your name is in the book, you're going to heaven. If it's not, then you're not. Now, verse 9, it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, if you're around when we're going through chapters 2 and 3, they are the two chapters in Revelation that talk about the letters to the seven churches. And I want to compare what Revelation 13 verse 9 says to the repeated verse. It's repeated seven times at the end of each of those seven letters to the seven churches. So in Revelation 13:9 it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. But seven times in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what's the difference between the letters to the churches and what's written to the people in the tribulation? What's missing? Yeah, what the Spirit says to the churches. Why do you think it's missing? The church isn't there. You're very clever. The church is caught up before the seven-year tribulation starts. And so the book of Revelation is entirely consistent with a, which viewpoint? The pre-trib. Pre-tribulation rapture view. All right, verse 10. He who leads into captivity should go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, I always wonder what this meant. I always, why is that there? But what it means, as I've been studying it, I think, I think what it means is that during this time, it's futile to try and fight because the Antichrist will control everything. The best believers can do is to have a smile on their faces as they confess that Jesus is Lord and look forward to meeting Jesus in heaven. There's no point in trying to fight the Antichrist. He has been given a authority the saints have been given into his hand. So you might think it's a callous thing to say, but that's what the scripture says. If you go to Revelation fourteen thirteen, it says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now what does the word blessed mean? It's like in the Beatitudes. Blessed means happy. It literally means happy. Yeah. So you're thinking, just put a smile on your face and be happy as you're being killed. Well, that's what Revelation 14, 13 says. It says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Happy are the dead. Okay. Now, you might not be smiling as you're, you know, you're being shot or whatever, but you will be happy a split second after. All right. 
The tribulation saints are much happier dead than alive. Now, we come to the next section. It's talking about the false prophet. So the first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is the false prophet. And we know he's a false prophet because it says so in Revelation 16, 13, 19, 20, and 20, verse 10. It refers to the second beast as the false prophet. Now, this man will be just as wicked as the Antichrist, and he will share the same fate as the Antichrist. When Jesus comes back, they will both be thrown directly into the lake of fire, bypassing the great white throne judgment. So it says, another beast, that's another in the Greek, aloe, the same kind. They're both human, and they're both completely sold out to Satan to do evil. They're both beasts in that sense. Now, I was thinking about it, and I thought, what Jesus said about Judas is also applicable to these two children of the devil. Sons of Belial, as Jesus would call them. Mark 14, 21. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. So, that's my interpretation of the fate of the <laughs> false prophet and the Antichrist. Better than ever been born. They're fulfilling prophecy like Judas did, but it was still their own choice and they will suffer their own consequences. And coming up out of the earth. Now, the earth or the land. So the is a definite article. It's the land in the Greek. And so it refers to a particular location or country. So which country do you think it could be referring to? Israel. This whole book is about the nation of Israel. Or Jesus and the nation of Israel. So the Antichrist comes out of the sea, as we learnt previously, and that refers to the Gentiles, the Gentile nations. But the false prophet comes out of the land. And likely that means Israel. So this is an indication that the false prophet could be Jewish. All right? The false prophet could be Jewish. And it says he has two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And it could also be translated, because the word and can also be translated but, so it could say, and he had two horns like a lamb but spoke like a dragon. So what does the two horns like a lamb mean? What does lamb mean first? Who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Jesus. It represents Jesus. Okay. Like a lamb. Okay. And two horns. Why two horns? Well, not sure, but someone had this idea. It could represent the power of the entire nation of Israel. If you know about the history of Israel, for much of its history, it existed as two nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And it could be that this Jewish false prophet will be appealing to the entire nation to follow the Antichrist as their Messiah, as their political saviour. Now remember what the Jews wanted to do to Jesus when he fed them and healed them? They wanted to do something by force. After he fed the 5,000, what do they want to do by force? They wanted to, they wanted to make him king, yeah. They wanted a political Messiah. They weren't so concerned about their sins. They just wanted to be free from the Roman occupation. So, 
basically, that's what's going to happen here. They want someone who's going to save them from oppression and war. And the Antichrist will do that. And he will also give them their temple. With the supernatural powers, he will seem like their Messiah. Now, Jesus said in John 5.43, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So this is a prophecy from Jesus, I believe, concerning the Antichrist, that a large portion of the nation of Israel will actually receive this Antichrist as their political Messiah. Now the false prophet is going to come across as a godly man, as a lamb. Okay, We're called lambs as well, right? Like in Romans 8, like lambs to the slaughter. And he is going to convince many to follow and worship the Antichrist. And I think of this as a parallel, like John the Baptist spoke of Jesus and pointed people to Jesus. So the false prophet will point these people to the Antichrist. But he will speak like a dragon, which means that he's going to have false doctrine. He's going to be telling lies. Okay, He's going to be deceiving people. And he's also going to have the power of Satan when he's near the Antichrist. So verse 12, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast, that's the Antichrist, in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell on it or in it to worship the first beast, the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. So again, the earth is the land. A reference most likely to the nation of Israel. So what does this second beast, this Jewish false prophet, do? He causes people in the land of Israel to worship the Antichrist. He causes them to be deceived. Now in verse 12 it says a deadly wound. And it's also the same word used in chapter 13 verse 2 where it's translated as a mortal wound, meaning fatal. Okay, It means dead. And whose deadly wound was healed, also in verse 12, and as we learned last week, there's going to be a successful assassination attempt and the Antichrist will be brought back to life. And this is all part of that massive deception that Satan is planning to trick people into thinking that he is the Messiah. But he is a false Messiah. He is an Antichrist, a false Christ. And verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So the signs there, the word signs, if you go back into the Gospel of John, Jesus performed signs, the miracles that had meaning. The same word is used here. The false prophet will do miracles which have meaning. His miracles will be pointing people to the Antichrist. And verse 13, it also says, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Now, who did that in the Old Testament? Who called down fire from heaven? Elijah, right? Who will be the two witnesses that will be around during the first half of the seven-year tribulation? Most likely, Moses and Elijah. So the false prophet probably be trying to upstage or upset Moses and Elijah. Okay, verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. So, who dwell on the earth, used many times in Revelation, what, seven or eight, nine times. It always refers to what? Believers or unbelievers? Those who dwell on the earth. Unbelievers, good. And the idea is that they are content to be on the earth. They're at home on the earth. They're dwelling there. So in addition to deceiving the nation of Israel, this false prophet also helps to deceive the rest of the world. And how does he do it? Well, it's by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, the Antichrist. So it's interesting that Satan possesses the Antichrist and the false prophet, when he's close to the Antichrist in his presence, he can do similar kinds of miraculous signs that the Antichrist and Satan can do, but only when he's in his presence. And it says, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Again, so it's repeating this thing about this counterfeit resurrection, this anti-resurrection, okay? Counterfeit anti-resurrection. This resurrection thing, this resurrection story, this antichrist being killed and risen from the dead, is going to be used to cause people to worship him. It's going to happen by the false prophet encouraging the worship of the Antichrist by worshipping statues made in his honour. And basically, in verse 15, it tells us that you worship a statue or you die. Now, it says sword, but a lot of the words in Revelation are type. Okay, Now, there's no type for this. This is a literal word. It's a sword. But if you're in the Roman army, that would be your main weapon, right, for killing people. If you're in the army today, what would be your main weapon for killing people? A gun, right? So there's no word for gun in the Greek back in John's day. So sword was, is your main lethal weapon. So it could be an assassination by a gun. He could be shot in the head. Don't know. It's a possibility. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So they make this exact image of the Antichrist from Rome, the Roman Antichrist, and they bring it to life. And all will be required to worship the image of the Antichrist. So we're going to come to this later, but there's going to be in the first half of the tribulation this ecumenical religion. So people from all different religions will combine and there'll be this ecumenical religion where everybody believes the same thing. It'll be occultish, it'll be satanic, but it'll have a nice feel to it. Probably a bit like the New Age, you know, a bit of everything. Spirit guides and all that kind of stuff. No one really knows the final form it's going to take. But at the halfway point, that disappears. And it becomes Satan worship. All the attention is now on the Antichrist and Satan. He was killed, he rises again, and we have all people forced to worship him. That's what happens at the halfway point. And the whole world will know that worshipping the Antichrist is one of the same as worshipping Satan. So if he 
read that in Revelation 13 verse 4. It says, So they worshipped the dragon, or Satan, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, or the Antichrist, who is able to make war with him? So they know that the Antichrist gets his power and his authority and his throne from Satan. They know that. They know they're worshipping Satan. The angels have told them, right? So the false prophet operates as this great religious person who brings about the worship of the Roman Antichrist. The Antichrist who rises from the nations and rules the world. He is the one who instigates the world to see the Antichrist as more than a man as being God. So what will this statue look like? What this image look like? I have no idea. You've got AI these days in artificial intelligence and you know I was watching video that Marissa showed me and you know this all the facial movements almost exactly human. It can tell jokes, it can do all those kind of things. All those kind of nuances that we thought that would never be possible for a computer to do. But it's here, that technology is here. But it could be just purely demonic too. So we don't know. But I just want to come back to what the angel said. The angel's warning here, okay? Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of the torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So, the Antichrist, the, the false prophet, is doing miracles, trying to deceive people. The angels are preaching this message. You have God preaching the truth. You have Antichrist, Satan, the false prophet, preaching the lie. It's not like God's left the world to just fall into the Satan's trap. He's given people a choice. People will have a fair choice. Why is that important? Because this one choice to worship the image of the Antichrist, it's very different to any of the day-to-day choices we make today. This one decision has eternal consequences. In one moment of time, you are making the choice between eternal death and eternal life. If you choose to worship, you will keep your life, but you will lose your soul if you worship the image. If you don't choose to worship the image, you will lose your life, but you will keep your soul. So I've just got a a few words, because we can apply this to our lives, right? When Jesus talks about losing our life and loving this world or, or not loving this world. So I'll just read a few of them out to you. So the first one is John 12, 25. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for this life in this world will keep it for how long? For eternity, right? And then there's Matthew 10, 37 and 39. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, 
you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Then there's uh, Matthew 16, 25 and 26. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the New King James Version. I'll read the same verses from the NILT, the NLT. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's a good question, isn't it? Is anything worth more than your own soul? And one more. I just want to point out that Jesus talked a lot about this, right? Mark 8, 34-38. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news, the gospel, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, you remember the movie The Matrix? Yeah, where Neo is given the, the blue pill and the red pill. Yeah. He can stay in one reality or another. Okay, and he's got a moment, a minute, whatever it was, to decide <laughs> which pill he's going to swallow. So, choice number one. This is a takeoff of the Matrix movie, right? But the red pill, it could be keep your miserable physical life for a few more miserable years of what will, in a real way, seem like hell on earth. It will feel like hell on earth because of all the judgments, the bold judgments which will be poured out. But you will really experience hell when you eventually die or Jesus comes back. Or, choice number two, the blue pill. <laughs> if you choose to, as an act of worship to God and for the sake of the gospel, refuse to worship Satan and the Antichrist and the image, in the process of being killed, you are transported to heaven where you will be in the direct presence of God. Awesome, huh? And I like to think of Stephen. Do you remember what happened to Stephen? He was being stoned. He looked up to heaven. His face was like an angel. And what did he see? Heaven was opened. Jesus was not sitting. He was standing. And he was welcoming Stephen home. It's a beautiful picture. I'll never forget that. The peace that filled Stephen's heart as that was happening, you know. And he cried out, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they do, as they were killing him. That's the kind of faith that I believe the tribulation saints will have. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. So, yes, 
if you choose not to worship the image, you will be killed. But this is what you have to look forward to. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. You go straight to heaven, right? How do I know? It says right here in Revelation 7, 9 to 17. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude. So how many? A great multitude which no one could number. Now, the Bible can number 200 million. So we're talking most likely more than 200 million, right? Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before where? The throne. And before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And skipping down to verse 13, it says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, this is John the Apostle, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That means they were saved by the blood of Jesus, right? Their sins washed away by the blood of Jesus. Saved just like we are saved, okay? Therefore, they are before the throne of God. So what's the promise if you die in the tribulation? When you die, you will appear before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Jesus will dwell among them. You will be in the presence of God directly. 16. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. So that speaks of there being no more suffering and persecution. They are taken out of the world, out of the influence of the Antichrist, and they are taken out of that persecution through death. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So he's going to comfort them. So again, it's speaking of the terrible time that they will have on earth, but the wonderful experience they will have after they are martyred and they go to be with the Lord. So I've made my choice. I want to give my life for Jesus' sake, for the sake of the gospel. So when it does happen, I've already decided. Does that make sense? I think it's important we all do that. We think about it. What would happen if? Am I willing to do that? We actually think ahead and say, okay, if this temptation happens or if this happens, I'm going to, and we've already thought about it. Yep, we're prepared. We've prepared our heart to do that. Now, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean I'm going to always do what God wants me to do, but that's the way I'm thinking. I want to be true to the Word of God, no matter what. I don't care what happens. I'm willing to suffer for him. Did you realize, and uh, we're talking to friends yesterday, in Sunday's paper there was a church in Perth who happened to meet in a school building and they were accused of being a cult because of their biblical stance on homosexuality and other biblical issues. So this is a paper in Perth most probably the Sunday Times, at Sunday's paper they said, and they said that someone 
from their church went up to this church and they said, well, our church is just like that. <laughs> we made the joke to them. Oh, I'm not sure if we should associate with you. You're a bit of a cult member. <laughs> but what are we in the eyes of the world now? We're intolerant. We're haters. Yeah? So in the eyes of the world, we're a cult. We're not accepted anymore. Things are changing really, really quickly. The days are coming where you're going to have to face the fiery furnace or enter the lion's den. And it could be sooner than later. All right, let's finish off. It's Revelation 13, 16 to 18. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has a mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So, small diversion. We go back to the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, evangelists, they also have a mark on their forehead. They also are sealed. They are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Whereas the people who are sealed, when they take the mark of the beast, are sealed by a different spirit. They're sealed for Satan's fate, right? So, the false prophet causes the entire population of the world, that's what it means when it says small and great, rich and poor, slave and free. It means everybody. It's another way of saying everybody. To receive the mark of the beast. And so the mark will be on their right hand or on their foreheads. And as a result, it forces the world to take the mark because you can't have a job, you can't buy things, you can't sell things. You need to be a part of the economy to survive, right? What is speaking of? This is the realization of the complete overarching one world economy where the Antichrist has complete control of all the finances of the world. So to receive the mark of the beast is not say, okay, I'll take it. No. To receive the mark of the beast, you first have to worship his image. Okay, so there's a catch to becoming a part of this economic system which promises prosperity. Remember what the second angel said? Babylon is fallen. It's going to be destroyed. The fate of this one-year-old system, economic system, is destruction. God will destroy it before he comes back. But that's what you're getting yourself into. You're buying into this system when you take the mark. You're worshipping Satan by submitting to him. Now, <laughs> this is a really clever ruse by Satan. You go back to the early church. What did the Roman Empire do? They insisted that every Roman citizen, everyone in the Roman Empire, even the slaves, must offer a pinch of incense as an act of worship for the emperor, or to the emperor, as emperor worship. What happened to millions and millions of Christians who refused to worship the emperor? They were killed, right? So here we have the emperor of the world basically doing the same thing. Nothing's changed. Millions and millions, hundreds of millions, maybe a billion, I don't know, of believers in the tribulation will be killed because they will refuse to worship the image of the Antichrist.
There's no hiding from this. Those who don't take the mark will be hunted down and killed. Some will survive. The Bible says that some will survive. But probably not very many. So the only ones, I believe, who have the courage to reject the mark will be the believers. Everyone else will be swallowed up by this powerful delusion, this powerful deceptive scenario that Satan sets up you know, with this risen Messiah and all that kind of stuff. So this is how Satan is going to seek to destroy all the believers during the tribulation. So it's simple, just to summarize. If you worship the image, you get the mark. If you don't worship the image, you don't get the mark. And that is why tribulation believers cannot and will not receive the mark of the beast. Does that make sense? And again, it's important because you don't have the mark, you can't buy, sell, hold a job, or do anything on this planet. So no banking or anything, right? So verse 17, it says, The mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And this can be also translated as the mark or the name of the beast, which is the number of his name. So his name is digitized or it's made into a number. Now, what are you in the government's eyes? You are a number. It might be a few numbers, actually. <laughs> we got barcodes, QR codes, social security numbers, license numbers, Medicare numbers. We've got numbers which define us. But we're going to have, in this period of time, one number, which is going to be us. Wikipedia said, The barcode was invented by Norman Joseph Woodland, and Bernard Silver and patented in the US in 1951. The invention was based on Morse code that was extended into thin and thick bars. However, it took over 20 years before this invention became commercially successful. So it was the 1970s. So this scripture is saying that the mark or the name of the beast, the name of the Antichrist, will be digitized into a number. When did this technology become available? Only in 1970. Okay, so another sign that we are living in the end times. In addition to this, you know, being recorded by number, this number doesn't need a barcode anymore. It can be in a computer chip, as you all know. And not only can these chips store your number, but they can also store everything about you. Your medical records, your banking, even your current health and your employment status. And they can track your location using satellites to within one meter. So this is total domination and control of the population by the Antichrist. Now, the number of the beast will most likely be a suffix or prefix that will be added to a person's existing number. So unless you have this, uh, let's say, prefix number added to your number, it's the number that represents the name of the Antichrist, you won't be able to buy, sell or have a job. You won't be able to live. So every time you wake up in the morning, thank God and say, this may be my last day here on earth. <laughs> we must be getting close. So I want to just close with the gospel. Just like the people living during the seven-year tribulation will have to make a final choice concerning their eternal destiny at the halfway point of the tribulation, so we all have a single choice to make which will determine our eternal destiny. And it's simply this, what will you do with Jesus? And I've got three things up there. 
Will you confess that you are a sinner, a lawbreaker, a person guilty of breaking God's law and deserving of death? Will you repent of your sins, which means to turn from your sin and turn to God? Will you ask God to forgive you based on Christ's payment for your sins when he died on the cross? So these three things, people are confused. People say, I just believe in Jesus. What does believe in Jesus mean? It means these three things. You confess you're a sinner, that you deserve to die. You repent of your sins, which means turn from your sins and turn to God. And then you ask God to forgive you, not based on, like, oh, goodwill, you know, you're kind of a nice person, I'll just let you go. No, he's not an unjust judge. He's a just judge. And there must be payment for the sin, for God to forgive the sin, right? So it's based on Jesus' death on the cross being our payment for our sins. So it's not about what you try to do or trying to be good enough. You can't. It's a change of heart. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a changed life. God accepts you as you are. And the change process called sanctification starts after salvation. So a couple of verses. Confession of sin, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then there's repentance. Luke 13, 3. And you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Consider the rich young ruler there. He refused to repent. He was a good person, refused to repent. And then finally, the third dot point there was Believing that Christ is the payment for our sins, Romans 3.25. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice, which means propitiation or payment for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And I can add there, in our place. And the result is eternal life. John 5.24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. So, Father, thank you, Lord, that you did first love us. And all we're doing as we repent of our sins and confess them and turn to you and seek to live for you is demonstrate gratitude for all the wonderful things you've done for us. Lord, you gave your life up for us. How much are we willing to give up for you in return? Lord, we're not buying any favour here. We're just saying thanks. Help us to have grateful hearts, Lord. Help us to really get into your word so we understand more of who you are, more of what you've done for us, more of what you've got planned for us, the wonderful promises that are for us, not against us and the future that is waiting for us too. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.